Okay, alright, so welcome back everyone. It's my pleasure to introduce to you the second episode of Shoot Your Shot, your favorite podcast with yours truly, your host, Fouad Floyd Kadora. So, a lot of stuff has been happening post-All-Star at the NBA, and I'm going to make it my mission to basically cover as much as I can, given that I took uh, a few weeks longer to upload this episode than I should have. A lot has happened in the world of the NBA, so uh, I'll be doing my best to take you through what's been happening so far, and I want to focus a lot more on the more serious storylines that's been taking place, uh, especially having to do with the Lakers, Philly, how Harden's adjusting, and how the Boston Celtics are kind of on a run post-All-Star break. They actually have the best defensive rating in the NBA since the beginning of the calendar year. So we'll be diving a little bit more into stuff like that. And I just want to discuss a lot of trends that that I've been observing in the NBA post-All-Star. A lot of teams are making a certain push that we haven't seen or been exposed to them making before. Um, An example would be, um, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, who would have thought the Minnesota Timberwolves would have gone 11-2 and post-All-Star break? I mean, I honestly don't blame them for doing that well, because Kat, aka Carl Anthony Towns, has been on a tear. I'm honestly so happy that he won the three-point contest, because he worked so hard for it, and he was doubted. I think he was, like, fifth or sixth in odds to win the contest he was like minus 900 or sorry plus 900 uh so if you put money down on him you definitely got the best out of that deal because he wanted to prove that he was one of the best if not the best current shooting big man out there and honestly his stroke is so sweet with his set shot technique it's because he's already so tall he's about like 610 611 maybe even seven foot on a good day with shoes. So, like, he doesn't really need to extend his body and jump as high as a Patty Mills, per se, or, like, a shorter player around your regular height, like your six-foot players that play in the NBA. You generally notice that they have to, like, jump a lot to get that arc behind them, and then they have a different technique when they want to shoot the three. Whereas Kat's stroke is super sweet and butter when it drops into the net and his shoes barely leave the ground. It's actually astonishing to witness. I'm really happy for him. Um, I've mentioned this in my previous episodes. He's kind of been going through a lot, especially with his mom passing away during COVID. So when people say that, they kind of undermine the extent of the stuff and how hard it's been for him so I actually am personally really really happy that he's been excelling at his craft and doing the best he possibly could especially because there was a lot of doubt about him teaming up with D'Lo or D'Angelo Russell for those of you who don't know because they've been really good friends for the longest time but they're not really the best defenders and they're more more offensively oriented minded players so 
there was a lot of doubt in the beginning as to how they would gel together and play together. Just because they were friends, it didn't mean that they would work out on the same team. And in the beginning, that didn't really work. So Jimmy Butler was out there in Miami throwing shade because he really didn't get along when he was on the Minnesota Timberwolves because of his work ethic and the age difference between him and the rest of the team. But now that the team is all in their early to mid-20s, they're all playing together, they all have the same language, they're really bonding a lot more. They don't take it as seriously as Jimmy Buckets does per se, but they take it seriously in their own way. So that's what's making them been balling so far. But I want to say that Cat is single-handedly responsible for their record. Post All-Star, they are literally on an 11-2 run. They've been going crazy. They are creeping up in the standings. They are basically almost out of the playing tournament that they're doing that well. And I'm honestly a little bit concerned because when you look at, yeah, they, they're literally sixth. So they're doing better than the Nuggets. As of this recording, they have the same record as the Nuggets, but they have the tiebreaker on them. So they're on sixth place. So they literally made it out of the play-in because of Kat's amazing, astonishing, unbelievable individual performances. And we'll get into his 60-piece career high um, a little bit later when I want to discuss the scoring boom so far and how it's betraying records and defying odds all over the NBA. We're going to dive into all of that a little bit later. But for now, I want to keep talking about how this push after All-Star break in the NBA has been so different than what we've been seeing in the first half of the season with teams like the Timberwolves making a push like I just touched on, teams like the Lakers not doing as well at all. The Lakers actually have a horrible record of 3-10 and post-All-Star, which is horrifying, honestly. It just makes you think of how much LeBron has to do for this team to even, like, be semi-relevant at this point. Like, they are in 10th place. They are they have a worse record than the Pelicans. And they are basically hanging on to the play-in. They were basically favored to win the entire Western Conference. But now they're barely hanging in at 10th place, which was... Uh, three years ago would have been out of the playoffs so LeBron was throwing shade at Adam Silver for basically implementing this play-in tournament and now that play-in tournament is the one reason he has a chance a chance at making it to the eighth seed through the play-in tournament to face the Suns in a rematch from last year's first round matchup Obviously, the Suns are a way better team. Their record as of this recording is 58-14, and 14, which is by far the best in the NBA. The second team trailing them is the Grizzlies being nine games back. They haven't even cracked the 50-win mark. So the Suns are just miles ahead. Kind of makes me think of how they should have won it all last year. Don't call me a Giannis hater. I just really wanted it to come full circle for Chris Paul, CP3, and State Farm. You know, it's just he really deserved it. So did Giannis, obviously, because he has a lot of accolades. And he deserved it as well in his own way. But Chris Paul is at the sunset tail end of his career. So it doesn't really 
he doesn't have as much time as Giannis does. Like, Giannis is barely 27. He just cracked 27 this season. And he has almost 10 years left in the tank for him to contend for championships. Whereas CP3 probably has two seasons left at best. So I just really personally wish it went to Chris Paul. And honestly, I'm a huge KD fan. So when that foot on the line because of his shoe size came into play and then Giannis just took it over in OT, it's kind of why I wanted the Suns to win. Was really rooting for them, but they weren't really as they didn't have the size on the front lines when it came into them beating or going against the Bucks in the finals. And then we all know how Devin Booker and CP3 in back to back games fumbled the bag towards the end of the games when they were tied and trying to with the ball trying to score they both fumbled the bag and turned the ball over which led to one of the most iconic alley-oop passes Drew Holiday to Giannis for the slam and then Giannis is just peak performance pose at the end of that slam became an instant poster an instant classic Basically, like, a solo version of the D-Way to LeBron alley-oop back in the day. It was just a pleasant sight to be seen. And uh, can't help but respect Giannis, be happy for him, and wish him the best. Just wish that was Chris Paul holding that high end of the stick. Because we all remember how we saw Giannis and the Bucks basically not celebrating the fact that they got out of the Eastern Conference at all. They were super lucked in. They had that Mamba Kobe mentality that the job's not finished, right? Whereas the Suns were celebrating winning the Western Conference playoffs because they were never in that position before. And CP3, ironically, in his illustrious career, has never broken out of the Western Conference before, which is nuts, honestly. He's such a point guard caliber player. Just never made it out to the finals. Makes you think about his rivalry with uh, Rajon Rondo and how Rondo has two chips and CP3 has nothing to show for instead of individual accolades. However, the case stands as it is. The Suns have the best record in the NBA by far. Hopefully they make a better push. I would kill to see a Milwaukee Bucks and Suns rematch in the finals if the Suns win it, because then it's kind of that sweet little revenge for CP3 and myself, because Giannis won't win back-to-back championships. I'm not a Giannis hater, again, I'm not wanting, I'm not necessarily, I'm not advocating for him to not win two, but I just really want to see CP3 win, and that's basically where I'm at in terms of wanting the Suns to beat the Milwaukee Bucks last year and this year if we get a rematch. But yeah, so moving on, I kind of wanted to talk about how there's been a lot of different records post-All-Star like I previously touched on already. Um, I've been noticing a lot of the good teams basically taking a little bit of a backseat Um not winning as much, maybe not trying as hard because they already had decent records. That's with the exception of the Philadelphia 76ers. They actually went from 6th to 3rd, so they went up 3 places in the Eastern Conference standings, and they've had a record of 8-4 and four after All-Star break. 
they were doing really well, especially with Harden integrating himself amazingly. I believe he was shooting around 55% from three in his first few games in Philly. And then we all know how that went against the Nets. I will be getting into that a little bit later. Man's fell apart he literally disappeared he just was nowhere to be found the guy went like two for 18 like it's just prime James Harden in the playoffs that just like tells you how much Daryl Morey gave up to get James Harden for them to only shrink in the playoffs NBA analysts literally have Philly not ranked in the top four teams to make it out of the east I believe Stephen A. Smith was the only one to have Philly, and they were in fourth place. And he wanted to, like, put Boston there instead because of their immaculate run after All-Star and their crazy defense, um, highlighted by they, their amazing defensive duo, Marcus Smart and Robert Williams III. Let me tell you, Robert Williams is an insane rim protector. He's such a good big man for them. And him and Marcus Smart are actually leading the league in deflections after the calendar flipped to 2022. So that's plenty of why the Boston Celtics have been making an insane run. Their record after All-Star and generally after the beginning of the new calendar year has been insane compared to their start. So there's a lot of different, like atmospheres and vibes going on in the NBA in terms of win percent after this calendar year, particularly after All-Star break. Teams like the Warriors actually have a losing record post-All-Star for 5-7, and seven, and that has to do with Draymond being out, and we'll get more into how Draymond's not been as active, and basically the big three not playing together for around a thousand days at all. And then the minute they start getting on the same court, Steph goes down with an injury thanks to the previously mentioned Marcus Smart. Story can't come more full circle than that, can it? So yeah, it's it's basically just weird how the good teams haven't been doing as well. And then the teams who weren't doing really well have been going on a tear. Especially the Boston Celtics and the Minnesota Timberwolves. They've been going crazy with double-digit wins and, like, two losses, if if any, after All-Star break. Just out with a point to prove, especially Carl Anthony Towns, like I touched on earlier, super happy for him. Could not be any happier for any other player. Of course, the Phoenix Suns are kind of an anomaly at this point. They're pretty much always winning. Like, if they lose, it's kind of news because it's like they, they're they basically almost at 50 wins. They're, I think they might even crack 60 at this pace. There's about three weeks of games left, so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, super happy for Cat, super happy for uh, the Utah Jazz. They're actually doing a lot better. You, you know your guy... Uh, Rudy Gobert, he's always protecting the rim like there's no tomorrow. And then you got Spider, Donovan Mitchell, shooting a lot better. He's been tearing it up, just trying to make them contend. You know, the Jazz in the playoffs have had a very uh, sad ordeal, especially in the bubble when they went against Phoenix. And then Mike Conley missed that tight. That Game 7 winning three in and out 
when Donovan Mitchell fell to the ground and he was just heartbroken. But hey, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and now they're doing well. And uh, yours truly, my favorite team in the world, the Raptors are actually at a good record after All-Star and they're catching up to the Cavs. I really want us to get out of the play-in tournament because I believe if we do, then we wouldn't have to face teams like the Nets because even though Kyrie won't play Kevin Durant in the playoffs and the plan is basically the playoffs is just another monster that I don't want to deal with and we're one game behind the Cavs honestly I just want us to keep winning like we have been we have been sitting at a 8 and 6 record after All-Star break so that's pretty good compared to the good teams at least. A lot of teams have been uh, losing a lot. The Brooklyn Nets are actually at a solid 500 level win percentage after All-Star break. So they're not doing really bad either. Kyrie's been going insane and I want to get into that with the second part of today's podcast. Discussing the scoring boom going on in the NBA recently and how we've had so many 50 plus point games that we haven't had this much basically in one month in the past nine or ten seasons combined in one month and especially in back-to-back days with 60 point bombs but yeah we'll get into that more and more um in the second part of today's podcast so um yeah i want to keep talking about how um philly has been doing in terms of after integrating james harden into the lineup. Uh, I want to touch on how Tyrese Maxey is having a phenomenal season and he was basically a trade piece to get to Harden but he's now kind of a part of a this brewing big three that's going on in Philly. He's kind of overtaken Tobias Harris as the third best player on that team because Tobias has been taking a step down he just turned 30. He was in his late 20s. He's getting paid around $35 million a season, which is absolutely insane for the way he's been playing. But hey, they got a guy on a rookie contract trying to prove himself. Um, I also want to talk about how Maxi's handle and burst is impeccable. Like, it's exactly what Philly needs, especially playing next to James Harden, because Harden is such a slow-paced player who basically dribbles out the clock and then just goes to his patented step back. So having your other one or two guard play at such a nice burst of speed and always changing directions, changing speeds, just basically playing with the defense, he either blows by you for like a quick dunk or layup or kind of crosses you over back into a three. And you can never know what he can do because he's shooting almost 40% from three and like over 45% from the field. So you can't really, you have to kind of pick your poison with a player like that, especially being that he's so fast and full of energy at the young age that he is. So I'm honestly super happy that Maxi has been integrating himself into the starting lineup. So you can kind of argue that the entire Ben Simmons saga for Philly had turned out quite favorable for them. I still think they gave up a little bit too much in terms of their depth, like Drummond. I know they got DeAndre Jordan, but um, do we have to really get into why he was waived by the Lakers when he wanted to pass the ball from half court thinking he was LBJ? And it literally went to the third row in the stands. 
and then he finds himself in a Philly jersey later. Um, it's kind of funny because he literally went from the Nets to the Lakers and now to Philly. All top tier contenders, championship contenders. Well, maybe not the Lakers. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, like he's a really high class big man. He's a big name, right? So like he's gonna find good teams. But honestly, like I would definitely call DeAndre Jordan washed. As of right now, at least, he might have a redemption season coming up, but he was playing way better when he was on the Mavericks, so, like, that's that's saying something. Like, he had a place in the Nets, especially with KD's synergy, but I honestly like Drummond way more, and then on the Nets, he's a rebounding champ, and that's literally what they need on their front line, which is very thin, but thankfully not anymore, thanks to Drummond, and then Claxton's kind of the perfect big man to come off the bench. So yeah, that's kind of like the tangents that I found myself going into after discussing how DeAndre Jordan ended up on three title contenders this season after throwing a pass to the third row in the standing. So what a world we live in in the NBA if you're a seven-footer who is a rim runner, who's a big name. You'd be surprised. You still have a place in today's league who's a primarily shooting-centric league that's focused on nailing threes and getting floor spacing. But at the end of the day, you always need a big man to get into the paint and get you an easy bucket, especially in half-court offense settings in the playoffs that are coming up in about three weeks. I cannot wait to cover the playoffs for the first time. I actually have a podcast. I can actually get my voice out there. I'm super excited for you guys to hear what I have to say about the playoffs. Super excited to cover them going forward. I've always wanted to talk about the NBA and kind of give my own perspective and twist about it with the little um, business personal development section at the end, like how I've discussed in my previous couple of episodes for this specific podcast. But The playoffs are right around the corner. I could not be more excited. I cannot wait to cover them. I have so much to say. Honestly, I will not stop talking when the playoffs come out. I just want to analyze every single game. Want to get it out to you guys as quick as possible. And have you listen to this podcast however you enjoy listening to it. Whether it's while you cook, clean, sleep, shower, whatever the case may be. I'm just enjoying the fact that I can bless you guys with my knowledge about the NBA, and I'm super thankful that you guys are enjoying listening to me speak about it, and uh, yeah, so let's keep going. I want to talk about how Harden is basically always going to shrink moving forward with the Philly situation. Um, It's really, really weird that Daryl Morey was so adamant on getting Harden before the trade deadline. It's kind of a win for the Nets because Harden, like, the Nets got a lot in return for Harden, whereas he could have just walked at the summer. So if the summer window came and he was a free agent for the first time in his career, he was definitely going to get a better deal and he was going to walk out and the Nets would have gave up their entire, like, identity and core moving forward for the future. Whereas they kind of let go of the player that they wanted to get all of that for but now they actually got a lot back in return with the insane shooting touch of Steph Curry and the very thick or shall I say thick body of uh, big body Andre Drummond with the rebounding on his front line that they desperately needed 
So I'm really happy that my favorite duo, which is Kyrie and KD, I mean, honestly, if you have a second favorite duo, so be it. But I cannot see, I will definitely argue and think that I would win every argument and game with my favorite duo, which is Kyrie and KD, because they are both go-get-me-buckets-at-will scorers, no matter who the hell is covering you. And if you're not convinced, just keep on listening. I will get into this with the second part of today's episode, judging by how they are the only duo in the NBA that actually participated in taking part in the NBA's recent scoring boom. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Harden got the short end of the stick on his trade because he shrinks in the playoffs, and he's kind of the person who wants to be like, oh, I want to have the ball in my hand the entire time and dribble it for 22 seconds, 22 times, before I take a shot or decide to pass. And I want the entire offense to be centered on me. So, basically, that's what he got in Philly, and they got off to a crazy start, and then Kyrie came, and he was like, hey... Remember how you like walked out on us and thought that we were trash and we're not contenders? I'm going to guard you and make you go 2 for 17 and strip you every time you go in without getting called for the foul because it's a clean strip and I know how the hell you play. And Kyrie annihilated Harden. He literally, like Kyrie's not known for defense. Let's get that out of out, out there right away. Kyrie is not a defensive-minded player. He is the best dribbler in the NBA in my opinion, I in like basically to ever play because I like watching the NBA now more than I did before. So a lot of people might come up to me and say Allen Iverson is the best dribbler, maybe even Jamal Crawford. There's a lot of Jamal Crawford enthusiasts, and I get that. It's Mr. Crossover. He knows what the hell he's doing. But in my opinion, Kyrie Irving by far the best handles in the league makes it look so smooth it's like the ball is a part of his body and he's not even trying so like imagine if he actually tried it's just like it's kind of attached to him and it's kind of his extremity at the same time so he controls it at will no matter what he doesn't even have to try he's just so smooth with it he makes it look so effortless it's so nice to watch i Definitely, like, would not mind watching an entire day of Kyrie Irving just dribbling the ball because he makes it look so nice. So he basically destroyed Harden because he wanted to cover him when he went to play him in Philly, making him go at an abysmal shooting percentage for the night. And then Kyrie and KD went off with Ben Simmons on the bench, which basically tells you how the 76ers are going to do well in the regular season. And they're going to not immediately fall apart in the playoffs because they have Joel Embiid but keep in mind I said they're not going to fall apart in the playoffs right away because of Joel Embiid not James Harden because I fundamentally believe that James Harden he might have a better playoff performance than he's used to but we all know that the guy shrinks in moments like that and then if you even if he doesn't his hamstring's probably going to start acting up He's going to have to sit out, and then if he comes back, he's going to play on one leg like he did last year, and then it's just like an entire repetition of a symphony that I don't want to go over again, basically. So that's why, in my opinion, I agree with the NBA analysts that Philly isn't part of my top four to kind of cross that playoff contention race. Right now, we're looking at the Heat, Bucks, Celtics, maybe the Bulls, but the Nets would have to be in fourth especially because of their dynamic duo. 
Ben Simmons coming back, DeAndre Jordan, Steph Curry shooting. It's just too much to, you know, like put aside in a half court setting in the playoffs. They're too good to kind of fall apart like that. Whereas James Harden and Joel Embiid is kind of all f- what Philly has to offer, and the rest are kind of role players. They don't have as much depth as they did with DeAndre Jordan. They gave away their first pick for this season, so they can't even have a draft pick to add to their roster for next season if they're trying to contend then. But that's the story for a later date. We're focusing on these playoffs coming up in three weeks. Oh my god, I cannot wait to cover these playoffs. So yeah, um, moving on. I'd like to talk a little bit about how Luka Magic has been on freaking fire after All-Star break. This guy has been dropping bombs, pulling the Dallas Mavericks to an 8-4 record after All-Star break. This guy is literally going crazy, playing out of his mind, scoring multiple 30-plus point games in the last few games, and just kind of going crazy, like... I don't know what got into him, but he's literally been going on a tear after All-Star break. Scoring 41 points against the Warriors on a near triple-double with 10 rebounds, 9 assists on f- on 40 minutes. Like, come on, basically a point a minute. Are you crazy, Luca? Well, on efficient shooting, too, 15 for 26. And just 35 against the Jazz. 37 against the Nets, 37 against the Hornets. He basically, like, picks out good players and then goes at them. He basically targeted LeBron when he was playing against the Lakers on March 1st after All-Star break and literally went at him every time to score on him. He's basically calling out the best players in the league and being like, hey, hand me the keys already. I'm 23. I'm ready to roll. I'm... basically wanting to take over your status so just hand me the keys give me the torch you're getting old i understand you're still good i understand you have more experience that but you're not as slow as me you have way more mileage on your body your legs have been through hell and back give me the pick and roll let me go out lebron james cross him up dribble left dribble right take him off the dribble go score on his head or give him that step back So he's gone and then he did the same thing to Steph Curry. He literally targeted him every time in the pick and roll switch and then he would body him up in the post because Steph Curry is not 6-9 and not 250. Um he basically just bodied him up every time and then went to his patented mid-range fadeaway and he scored 41 points in that game. Like he's literally targeting the best players in today's league and telling them and making a statement telling the world that guys I'm I'm coming up he's probably going to make first team maybe second team again for the first time or er, for consecutive times since his rookie year pretty much so the guy's been going insane just on a massive tear giving the Mavericks such a better record after All-Star break actually putting them in very decent contention in terms of the Western Conference standings in a solid fifth place spot 14 and a half games back of the Suns which is like it's on anomaly at this point they have a really good win percent 43 and 28 record as of this recording been playing out of his mind that trade with Dinwiddie made them so much better they've been posting such a better net rating after the trade 
it's basically telling you that they already had their bigs who are stretch bigs. So Luka can have the entire floor to do whatever he wants. He can post up, he can blow by, he can shoot the three, and then the his team can crash the boards for the offensive rebounds. So it basically tells you that he wasn't a good fit with Porzingis at all. He was mostly focused on like getting his own buckets and getting his team involved in other ways. That's why your uh, best GM, in my opinion at least, your market Cuban, Cubano, kind of wanted him wanted Luke wanted to get Luca more of a guard who can also like be more of a shot creator and kind of play that Jalen Brunson role to another extent so they have like three shot creators on the floor at once and Dinwiddie being um kind of a shooting guard's height like six five six six kind of allows you to play Luca so he's kind of a three but he's still the one so they have like the height needed in today's NBA and they have three shot creators that can create for themselves and for others at the same time. So it's basically a lot more dynamic opening up the court and not making it so he has to share the ball with Porzingis a bunch so Porzingis can take and break a bunch of middies and threes that he's currently doing and the Wizards with Dinwiddie kind of tearing it up with two back-to-back game winners. This guy... Nailed the game winner when my guy, Ruthless Aggression Snake (laughs) KD, drained that three from like 25 feet out, um, giving them a one-point lead against the Mavs. And then Luka dribbled on top of the key the next play with like six seconds remaining. Just passed it to Dinwiddie to get rid of it because he was getting doubled and he didn't have a shot. Dinwiddie just threw that up there and it hit nothing but net. And just destroyed the Nets. And then he had that insane game winner the game before. Dinwiddie's just been tearing it apart. Mark Cuban could not be more happier in terms of like, hey, I made the right call when the guy he trades for, um, which is kind of looked at as a bad trade, kind of like people compared it to the DeMar DeRozan signing at the time where they were like, oh, this is going to be the worst trade of the entire summer. And then behold, DeRozan's like fourth in the league in scoring, averaging 28 points a game. He's single-handedly one of the reasons that the Bulls are in contention. They were in the first seed for the longest time. Now they're at the fifth spot. They're kind of doing okay after All-Star break. But the point being that there was a lot of shade thrown towards Mark Cuban because of the Dinwiddie trade, and then Dinwiddie gets two back-to-back game winners after All-Star break. So that tells you how you have to make some tough decisions if you see that they're the right decisions to be made, which in Mark Cuban's case, I'd say has been going pretty well for him, judging because the fact that he's a billionaire, he purchased an NBA team for several hundred million dollars, and they are worth over $3 billion at this moment in time. And he is one of the Shark Tanks. I don't really have to go further into Mark Cuban's resume because we can obviously see that even though he's been um, assessed heavily for his decision making, it always ends up being right for him. And that kind of tells you a lot more about how if you want to make decisions in your life, you should really focus on what's right for you and kind of ignore the haters because at the end of the day, People are going to disagree with you because you're taking an unconventional route and you want to, for you to succeed, whereas they might think that it's too non-conventional 
too um, not straight of a path for you or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, you have to do your research and you have to come up with your own conclusions, with conclusive evidence to prove people wrong. And at the end of the day, all you have to do is work hard to try to do that and prove others wrong. And then when you do do that, trust me, they're going to come back and be like, oh, you actually did it. I'm really proud of you. And you're going to be like, oh, I told you so. So you're going to flip getting the opportunity to say I told you so to them rather than the other way around, which is pretty cool in my opinion. However, going back to the NBA discussions, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy how like Mark Cuban just made a decision to trade um, a really good player in terms of like average opinion uh, with the Porzingis to get Dinwiddie, who's kind of like, he's not a bad player at all. He's just not on like, um, you know, um, Porzingis is star standing status. He's like a really good player. He's not a star, which Porzingis was supposed to be at least. But after making that trade and getting a ton of shade thrown towards him, you can safely say that he definitely made the right decision because that trade got him two back-to-back game winners from that guy that he traded for. So... Yeah, that's some lessons to take on for you, my listeners. Um, If you guys want to make decisions that may not be looked at the best at that time, please consider their long-term effects, even short-term. And if you feel 100% with all the evidence and research that you've conducted that it's the best decision for you, then go ahead and do it. You might luck out and cash out like uh, Cuban did with Dinwiddie or What's the worst that could happen? You're going to fail, you're going to pay for it, and you're going to learn, and you're going to be more experienced and do better next time. So risk-taking with limits and boundaries does lead to success in the long and short term. It just depends on how much you need to fail to learn from it to be able to luck out at the end. But yeah, so moving on, I want to discuss the Lakers. <laughs> Honestly, there is so much to talk about when it comes to the Lakers. It's just kind of sad because I wish LeBron didn't really sign up or sign off, sorry, on the Russell Westbrook trade. I believe that they would have been such a better team had they kept their depth. Caruso, especially, he was an insane perimeter defender, really good spot of shooter, which is the exact archetype of player you need playing with LeBron James. Not a ball dominant guard who can airball threes to have Carl Anthony Towns staring at the wall and looking around as to where the ball may went because he doesn't want to get hit in the head with it because Russell missed the rim and everything around it so much. It's actually crazy. And then you have Patrick Beverly kind of uh, ducking his head when he was giving the ball to the ref. I suggest you look that clip up on YouTube. It's a very um, funny funny little clip that makes you laugh about how the Lakers are doing this season. (laughs) So yeah, if you're in a mood for a little uh, joke, then definitely look that up. Um, So yeah, um, there's a lot of articles basically saying that this trade the Lakers made this season might be the worst trade in the franchise's history, especially if they don't make the playoffs. Because at this rate, sitting at the 10th spot with the Pelicans, with the revamped Pelicans, with CJ McCollum beating them, 
record-wise, especially the last few games, yeah, not looking too well. Honestly, the the only teams under the Lakers are the Spurs, Blazers, Kings, Thunder, and Rockets. That's how sad it is. Like, teams like the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, doing better than the Lakers. But hey, at least LeBron is chasing a scoring title. Which, honestly, if he does, that's crazy. Like, he literally passed Karl Malone to get the second most points in NBA history the other day. This man is on a mission. No matter who he is playing with, he is a perennial all-star for the ages, maybe even the GOAT. He honestly, in my opinion, deserves to share that title with uh, Jordan because LeBron's competition is a lot harder. He literally faced off the best team in maybe NBA history with four all-star starters for like three or four consecutive years in the playoffs and the finals. And he had he was on the Cavs with Kevin Love and like an always injured Kyrie Irving. And J.R. Smith, like, oh my god, if LeBron took J.R. Smith to the freaking finals against the best team in NBA history. I'm not saying he is the GOAT because Jordan has such a flawless track record, but he at least deserves to be in the conversation. Like, come on, my guys. Don't slam LeBron so hard. I honestly see so much LeBron slander, but honestly, I really fundamentally believe that by the time LeBron's going to stop playing, he's going to be respected a lot more than he is now because of the sheer fact that people don't appreciate what he's doing at the age of 37. Like, this man is chasing a scoring title. Do you know his competition? His competition is Joel Embiid and uh, Giannis. Do you know how old they are? They are 10 years younger than LeBron James. LeBron James, at 37, is chasing a scoring title on a team that's in 10th place, as opposed to two teams that are in 2nd and 3rd, respectively, in the Eastern Conference, with their stars being 10 years younger than LeBron James. The stars who are averaging the same amount of points as LeBron James are 10 years younger than him. This man is chasing a scoring title at the age of 37. Who does that? Like, people at 37 don't average 30. They barely average 20. When Jordan came back on his last season, he was turning 40, and that dude barely averaged 20. I guarantee you LeBron's going to average more than 20 by the time he's 40 and playing with this kid in the last season in the NBA. Hold me to that because I will be on this podcast three years from now at that date, reminding you of this second episode of my inaugural season of Shoot Your Shot and how LeBron James is averaging more than 20 points in his last season in the NBA. Like, this man is truly... An anomaly. He is not like the rest of the players. He just knows the game so much better than everyone else. He is the only player to have the lowest combined uh, stats in terms of points, rebounds, and assists. And he surpassed Kareem. Kareem was like the top in points, maybe third or fourth in rebounds, and like 45th in assists. LeBron is like 39 in rebounds. Uh, second in points and like seventh in assists so if you total up the sum of those rankings he surpassed kareem in the total rankings for nba all-time stats 
Like LeBron is truly an anomaly, and he's do- doing it in uh, less seasons than uh, Kareem. So he's literally writing new books, new history books for people to look back at. Like, I honestly believe the only people who are able to compete with LeBron moving forward are people like Luka Doncic, maybe Kate Cunningham right now. People that have to come in and kind of run the team from start to finish for their whole careers. Even though LeBron kind of wooed us all with his 56-point performance, it kind of reminds you of his greatness in terms of how this man was single-handedly responsible at 37 to carry his team to get one dub after All-Star break to break their losing streak, going for 56 points, most as his like most uh, points he scored as a Laker and third most points he scored in his entire career to break their four-game losing streak at the time against all bad teams. Like I wish they were losing to good teams. They're literally losing to bad teams by basically turning the ball over and getting rid uh getting beat on um fast break buckets because they have old legs and their average age of their roster is like 34, which is unheard of in the NBA. They're the oldest team to ever play in the NBA. Like I remember when LeBron dropped that tweet and he was like, "Oh, like keep that same energy uh when we're playing and winning and uh yeah lebron we have been keeping that same energy like i'm nothing to talk to you in terms of what you've done but i just wish you didn't sign off on rust man you would have had such a better team and you wouldn't have wasted a season in terms of championship aspirations at least you're not wasting it because you're chasing a scoring title, so I guess that has to do better for your legacy in terms of that. Being the oldest player ever to have a scoring title, going against people that are a full 10 years younger than you, this guy is nuts, man. I honestly can't believe how good he is. He's he's literally an exception to every single rule in the NBA. This guy is redefining longevity. He's just an insane player that doesn't give up no matter what. Guys, if you really are NBA fans and you're listening because you actually enjoy watching this sport, please stop bashing LeBron. Just appreciate his greatness while he's still on the court because if you don't, three years is going to snap by like that and you're going to forget that he ever played and you're not going to have the opportunity to watch him in games because he's going to be sitting at home pursuing other ventures and movies and Hollywood initiatives with his billionaire status he's made on and off the court throughout his illustrious career. And you're only going to be able to see him on YouTube in past games rather than in actual live games that we're witnessing right now. This guy is defying the odds at every single season he's ever been a part of. And I really, really wish he employs every single metric he can to come back and actually contend for a championship for the last two seasons he has before he just joins the team that his son ends up getting drafted to so honestly like he's probably gonna take them to the playoffs because he's lebron even at 40 but just enjoy this man he is literally in his last few seasons and he's still playing like he's 27 even though he's 37 which for him is still his prime like saying that out loud is honestly insane literally brought out finals mode to barely win in a regular season game after they lost to the pelicans the same week man 
the Pelicans, which are beating them in the standings as of the recording date of this episode. Oh, man. Speaking of, honestly, Vogel needs, like, some blame, even though a lot of the blame goes on who signed off the Russell Westbrook trade, which is LeBron and AD. But honestly, Frank Vogel could have dealt with the situation a little bit better. The Lakers are one of the only teams who don't have a specific five-man lineup with over 150 minutes played. And that tells you a lot because even the Nets who have been dealing with everything in terms of injuries, trades, um, part-time players, new players, you know, they even have a a five-man lineup with over 150 minutes played. So the fact that even with the the Lakers' injuries and everything, they don't have a select five-man lineup with a positive net rating with that many minutes played kind of throws some shade at the coach because, honestly, I think they need to have better two-way shooters in the lineup, which they have, like Wayne Ellington. Like, why does Taylor Horton Tucker get so many goddamn minutes every game this guy is a project second round pick man like he's good don't get me wrong but he's a slasher he has insanely long arms for 6-4 like he's not a good shooter and he's definitely not a spot-up shooter whereas Wayne Ellington is money from deep just give him the ball run the pick and roll action at the top of the key with LeBron James let them double James because the man has 30 a night and then pass it to Wayne for the three like he's not that bad of a defender like, I don't understand why he's not been playing more games. They are 2-9 and nine since the All-Star break. The Lakers. Like, where is Wayne Ellington? Let the guy get more minutes. You guys need shooting. You're playing Melo, which is a good shooter, or like was. He was shooting like 42%, and now he's down to like 38. Probably shooting like under 25% in his last uh, 10 or so games. And on top of that, he's a household name, sure, but he has no defense, he gets blown by like a stick on defense, like, where is Wayne Ellington, you need way more Wayne Ellington minutes, anyways, I'm rambling, it's the end of this part of the episode of this podcast, but yeah, um, if you guys want to hear more, and uh, especially pertaining to the Heat, the Suns, the Nets, and the insane scoring boom that's been going on in the NBA, and my favorite team, the Raptors, tune in to the second part of this week's two-episode special because I missed an episode last week because I was busy. <laughs> so yeah, if you guys want to hear more, uh, please tune in to the second part of today's episode, and I'll see you guys there. <laughs>